I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. I want you this morning to imagine a scene with me. It's a very casual scene. It was a very common scene. Jesus has gathered in an upper room with his disciples for a meal. That was not uncommon. They would not have thought anything about it gathering in that upper room. When they walked into that room, it was not a formal setup. It would have been very casual, very informal. Most likely many of them sitting around on a floor, lounging, leaning back, a very relaxed, casual, common environment. And yet Jesus, in the opening moments of that scene, creates some tension and very quickly what was a casual, common, ordinary setting becomes one of the most dramatic scenes ever fleshed out in the New Testament. They get in that upper room and Jesus goes for a towel and a basin filled with water and First, he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And if you're familiar with the story, you know at that moment, some of them began to resist. The tension was so great. They, the, 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 the act of washing someone's feet when they entered a home before a meal was, again, very common. But that act was usually carried out by the lowest servant or slave in the home. It would definitely not have been carried out by a visiting rabbi, much less one like Jesus, who these men for three years of their life had watched everything he'd done. They'd witnessed every miracle that he'd performed. Jesus begins to wash their feet and what was a very casual, common scene becomes a very intense moment in the life of the disciples. And after washing their feet, Jesus takes a cup and some bread. He does a couple of things with that. He institutes for us as followers of Jesus Christ a practice that we still carry out to this day. We call it the Lord's Supper. But in that moment, he was using that scene to articulate a couple of things. Number one. He was showing them what was about to take place, that he was about to offer up his body. 
As you read this in the text of Scripture, it starts in John chapter 13. It runs all the way through the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, this story. We read it over four chapters, but it happened all in one evening with these disciples. In the context of distributing the bread and the cup, Jesus exposes the one who's going to betray him, Judas Iscariot. Judas leaves the room. Now it's Jesus and just 11 disciples. Now here were 12 men originally who thought they were this band of brothers and they've gotten in this environment where it's gotten very intense, very dramatic. All of a sudden Judas has run out of the room declaring him to be the one that's going to betray Jesus. Jesus is talking very candidly about the reality that he's about to die. And then he says to them, where I'm going, you cannot right now go with me. If you're imagining the scene as I am, at this point, the disciples are literally hanging on every word that is coming out of his mouth. He begins to talk to them about heaven and the place that on the cross he's going to prepare for them. You get to the end of chapter 14, and the last line of John 14, Jesus says this, get up and let us go from here. So in John 14 into John 15, there's a transition that takes place. Jesus has laid out for them. His death, burial, and resurrection. He's talked to them about heaven. He showed them who's going to betray him. This intense scene is now one that is a moving scene. The implication of the end of John 14 is that the disciples, probably in absolute silence, nobody nobody wants to breathe a word. Everybody is shocked and in awe of what's just transpired over the last couple of hours. They notice an intensity about Jesus. There's always been an intensity and a purpose with his life, but but it's as if the, the dial has been turned up. And the intensity on the face of Jesus is now overwhelming. So if you can imagine, they leave this little upper room and come down what's probably a pretty rickety set of wooden steps back to the streets of Jerusalem and they begin what is a mile walk past the temple in Jerusalem on the east side of the temple they go out a gate there known as the golden gate the east gate of the temple there just past the temple that golden gate leads them out through what is called the Kidron Valley. Just through the Kidron Valley, they would reach what you and I now know as the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, in chapter 17 of John's Gospel, we read as Jesus invites three of his disciples into the inner sanctum of that garden with him, and they begin to pray. 
But in between John 14, 31, get up, let us go from here, and arriving at the Garden of Gethsemane, something happens. The text doesn't necessarily tell us it happened this way, but in my imagination, here's what I think happened. Jesus is leading this little band of disciples out of Jerusalem towards the Garden of Gethsemane, and somewhere in the Kidron Valley, they pass what is a very common, ordinary scene there in the hills of Jerusalem. They come into a vineyard. Now imagine the silence as the disciples are following Jesus after this intense discussion in the upper room. They get to this vineyard and Jesus stops. And in my imagination, he kneels down and he picks up one of the branches there in that vineyard. And in that moment, Jesus says these words. We find it in John 15, beginning in verse number 1. I am the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He's thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be disciples of me. Hundreds of books and thousands of sermons have been preached on the verses that I've read for you this morning. I wanted you to understand the context of where Jesus shared this. This was a very significant moment, an incredible transition was taking place. Within a few hours of what I just read for you, within just a few short hours, soldiers would come into that garden, they would arrest Jesus, 
In less than 24 hours, he would be crucified. Three mornings later, he would rise again from the dead. He would ascend back to heaven 40 days later to the Father. In that critical moment, Jesus gives us one of the most powerful illustrations and expressions ever given to help us understand what it looks like to live the Christian life. These are some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. When we started Hope as a church, where do you begin preaching Sunday number one when you start a new church? We prayed and prayed and prayed about that, and where the Lord led us was to John's gospel. And when we started Hope, we started in John chapter 1, verse 1. And if you were here back then, you'll remember that for the first five years, we were a church. For five years, we just walked verse by verse through the gospel of John. It took us five years to finish. But right in the middle of John's gospel, we got to this section of John 15. And originally, when we started to go through this series, we said, hey, we're going to preach a couple of weekends out of John 15. And God so moved through this passage of Scripture that over a period of several weeks, we unpacked John chapter 15. And what we want to do this weekend is kick off a series that's going to run for seven weekends where we are going to unpack this passage of Scripture under the heading simply, Lessons from the Vineyard. And I'm going to give you a personal testimony up front. I don't know of any section of Scripture that our church has ever been through together that more deeply impacted the life of our church when we did it than John 15. And, and I don't know of any passage of Scripture that has radically changed my life more than the 15th chapter of John's gospel. So let's jump into it this morning. We'll get as far as we can today, and then we'll pick back up in the weeks to come. John 15, in the verses that I've read for you six times, in eight verses, Jesus repeats the phrase, bear fruit. Six times in eight verses, Jesus says we're to bear fruit. Now, that leads me to a question I want to begin with this morning. How many of you desire to live a life that bears fruit for the glory of God? Let me see your hand. Just hold them up for a second. How many of you desire to live a life that bears fruit to the glory of God? Now, hands all over the building this morning. I mean, maybe it wasn't everybody, but it looks like everybody in the building said, that's me. I want to live a life that bears fruit to the glory and honor of God. And listen, that is a right desire for the follower of Jesus. We should desire to bear fruit. As a matter of fact, listen to what Paul prayed in the book of Colossians for believers. Listen to what he prayed. For this reason also... Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul said, man, we never stop 
praying for you that you would bear fruit for the glory and honor of God. So what I want to do as we begin today is give you a pop quiz, all right? Don't you love pop quizzes? I mean, I used to hate it in school when my teacher would say, pop quiz, like the whole day is ruined when those two words come out of the teacher's mouth, right? So what I want to do as we begin is I want to give you a pop quiz. So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to answer a question. That's all I can give you this morning because I got too much I want to say to you, all right? So 30 seconds to answer one question. If you have a pen and notepad, I don't want you to write it down. We're not going to collect them, okay? You're not going to have to turn them in. It's not going to affect your grade at the end of the semester, so don't worry about it. But here's the question. What is fruit in the life of a believer? There it is. Write it down. Get your answer. I mean, you all just said, I want to live a life that bears fruit, so what is it? About 15 more seconds. Got your answer? Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer it out loud. I don't even want you to share it with your neighbor. I want you to think about your answer because I believe one of the most misunderstood concepts in the New Testament is this idea of what is fruit in the life of a believer. Some people think that fruit in the life of a believer is winning somebody else to Christ. They'll say that's when you're bearing fruit, when you see somebody else get saved. You share the gospel, they come to Christ, you've now borne fruit in the kingdom of God. Some people think that bearing fruit is making a disciple. It's not just winning someone to Christ, but it's the process of discipling somebody else. And when you disciple them, now you are bearing fruit. You're reproducing the life of Christ in others. That, that's what bearing fruit is. Some people have the idea that bearing fruit is good works. It's works that we do after we've come to Christ, works like feeding the homeless, or that, that ministry of giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, meeting those needs out there in society, that's bearing fruit. Some people think that bearing fruit is service in the body of Christ. It's using your spiritual gift and meeting the needs of others inside of the family of God. Now, all of those things and others maybe that you've mentioned, maybe what I just described is some of the things that you had written down there. None of those things by themselves are wrong, but they miss the mark if you don't have a complete understanding of what fruit is in the life of a believer. So what I want to do this morning is simply answer that one question. What is fruit in the life of a believer? What is fruit? Now, in the verses that I have read for you this morning, Jesus gives us some insight or, if you will, some clues to what fruit is so that we can kind of understand fruit in the life of a believer. So I want to unpack four insights that Jesus gives us just quickly to help us understand and bring a definition to this idea of fruit in the life of a believer. Here's the first clue or insight that Jesus gives us. 
Fruit is the defining mark of a believer. Read that out loud with me. Fruit is the defining mark of a believer. Look back in John 15 and verse number 8. Look at it on the screen. He says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so, what's the next word? Prove to be my disciples. The word prove there is a word that means to give evidence of what you are. Now, leave that verse up here for a second. I want you to hear it that way. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and give evidence to what you are, my disciples. Jesus here mentions fruit as the defining mark of the believer. It identifies us as genuine disciples. The way you can tell a real follower of Jesus, a genuine disciple from somebody who's not a genuine or real follower of Christ is fruit. Bearing fruit is the defining mark of a believer. Let me give you a second characteristic or or clue. Fruit is a lifestyle characteristic. Read that out loud with me. Fruit is a lifestyle characteristic. This word bear fruit is used six times in these verses. Every time it's used, it's in the present active tense, meaning that it's describing an ongoing, continuous action in my life. Here's what that means. Fruit in the life of a believer is not an occasional occurrence. It's not something that happens like, I won somebody to Christ. Well, I bore fruit. When am I going to get another opportunity to do that? No, it's not an occasional occurrence that happens at moments in the life of a Christian. Bearing fruit is a lifestyle characteristic, meaning that it is part of the ongoing lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. It's the defining mark of a Christian, and it is a lifestyle characteristic, something that's not just carried out at church. It's not just something that I do in my small group. It's not just something I do on a mission trip. It is the moment-by-moment defining mark of my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you got those two, say amen. amen. Let me give you the third one. Fruit is evident in varying degrees. Did you notice that as Jesus was unpacking this statement here in John 15, these first eight verses, he mentions the concept of bearing fruit. For example, in verse 2, he just says, bear fruit. Down in verse 2, the second half, he says, bear more fruit. Down in verse 5 and in verse 8, he says, bear much fruit. Sometimes as believers, we bear fruit. Sometimes we bear more fruit. Sometimes we bear much fruit. It's a lifestyle characteristic that is the defining mark of a believer. But as you meet different individual believers, you will see fruit manifest in their life in varying degrees. It reminds me of the parable in Mark chapter 6, or excuse me, Mark chapter uh, 5, where Jesus is unpacking the parable of the soils. And in that parable, it's in Mark chapter 4, that parable. Jesus talks about the different types of soils where the word of God is sown. And the only one that is the the believer is that fourth type of soil, the good soil. And listen to what Jesus says in that, that, that parable. Mark 4 verse 20. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Sometimes in the life of a believer, there's a, a 30 fold bearing of fruit. Some believers, there's a 60 fold bearing of fruit. Other believers, there's a 100 fold bearing of fruit. 
So remember where we are. It's a, fruit is the defining mark in the life of a believer. It's what sets apart the real genuine follower of Christ from someone who's not a real genuine follower of Christ. Secondly, fruit is a lifestyle characteristic. It's the ongoing part and practice of our life. And third here, it appears in different believers in varying degrees. Let me give you the fourth insight. Here's the fourth insight Jesus gives us. Fruit is that in the believer which glorifies the Father. Say that out loud with me. Fruit is that in the believer which glorifies the Father. Look back at verse 8. He said, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Now, stay with me for just a second, all right? What we just, the story that I told you at the beginning, we read over about five different chapters in the Gospel of John. But for the disciples, it was lived out in one evening. So everything that they heard in John 13, 14 was still fresh in their mind when Jesus was talking in John 15 and John 16. All of this was one evening for them. And everything that Jesus was saying, the intensity was so great and the drama in the room was so great, they were hanging on every word that he said. And when Jesus got to John 15 and verse 8 and said, By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, immediately they would have been taken back to what Jesus had just said in John chapter 14, verse 13. Look at this verse on the screen. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that, read it out loud, the Father may be glorified in the Son. Notice the phrase, that will I do. Jesus didn't say that you can ask me something and I will allow you to do that and that will bring glory to the Father. Jesus didn't say you can ask me to do something and I'll give you strength and you can do this and that will bring glory to the Father. Jesus said you can ask me something and I will do it through you, and he says it emphatically here, it's literally I myself will do it through you so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus is about to leave and he promises the disciples that through their spiritual union, he will manifest his life through them to the glory of the Father. What is it in the life of a believer that brings glory to God? What is it in our lives that brings glory to God? I know the answer. You know what the answer is? It's Jesus. Jesus is that which brings glory to God. It's His very life present in and through us because Jesus 
is the glory of God. You remember John 1, 14, when, when the Bible says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the glory of God. And as Jesus manifests his life in and through us, God is glorified through the life of Christ in you and me. Let, me. let me give you a surprising reality. We don't bring glory to God. As a matter of fact, God is not lacking in glory. He is glory. We experience his glory through the person of Jesus Christ, and our lives then reveal and reflect his glory as the life of Jesus is evident in and through us. So, we're kind of going a little backwards this morning. I'm giving you some clues, and now what I want to do is give you a definition of fruit. Here's the answer to the pop quiz, all right? Here is fruit. Put it up on the screen. The life of Jesus in me being lived through me. Say that out loud with me. The life of Jesus in me being lived through me. Keep that definition up here. Fruit is the defining mark of the life of a believer. You see it? The life of Jesus in me being lived through me is that which sets me apart as a genuine disciple of Jesus. Fruit is the lifestyle. Okay, this isn't something that just happens in my quiet time. It's the ongoing pattern and practice of my life. The life of Jesus in me being lived through me. It's that which brings glory to the Father as Christ manifests his life in and through me. And this is evident in varying degrees. Some people, you get around them, and man, you just are consumed with the life of Christ in them. Now, go back to the illustration. Jesus has them in a vineyard. Now, I asked you a question earlier, what is fruit? I want you to think about that question not at church, all right? I want you to think about that question agriculturally. That's going to be a little hard for some of you city folk, right, this morning. But I want you to think agriculturally for a minute. What is fruit? Fruit is the life of whatever is in the vine being pressed out through the branch, right? I mean, if you got an apple tree, all that's in the life of that tree is apple. Well, what's coming out of the branches? It's not a trick question. The answer is not Jesus, it's apples. You got an orange tree. What's coming out of the branches? Oranges. Why? Because the life of the vine is pressed out through the branches. You got a lemon tree. What's coming out through the branches? Lemon. You got a grapevine. What's coming out through the branches? Grapes. Why? Because fruit is the life of the vine being pressed out through the branches. Now listen. Who is the vine? 
Jesus, now's the time to say Jesus. Who's a, Jesus said, listen, Jesus knelt down. He picked up the branch and he said, men, look at me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Fruit is the life of the vine being pressed out through the branches. Fruit is the life of Jesus in me being lived through me to the glory and honor of God. Now, there there are two defining statements I want to give you about this process. Number one, through my union with Christ... I'm being changed on the inside. Through my union with Christ, I'm being changed on the inside. We all know Romans 8, 28. I mean, it's one of the favorite verses. Every Christian quotes it all the time, especially when times get hard. It says what? And we know that God causes all things to work together for what? For good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We all love Romans 8, 28. The problem is we stop with 28 and don't read verse 29. Verse 29 tells us what the purpose is that he's called us into. Look at verse 29 up on the screen. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Through our union with Christ, we are being changed on the inside. That word conformed there is a word that that means literally to be changed. We get an English word from the Greek word. It's the word morph. The idea of being morphed is to be changed into, from one form or character into another. It's to undergo transformation. And here's the point. Listen, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Salvation is not you and me working hard to change our lives. Salvation is God at work in us through our union with Christ, conforming us on the inside to the very image of Christ. Listen, I want to say that again. I don't want you to miss that. Salvation, being saved, is not you making a commitment to Jesus so that you're going to do everything you can to try to change your life. Salvation is not you turning over a new leaf. Listen, salvation is you entering into a personal relationship with the God of heaven through Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes to live within you on the inside. And then God is at work changing you on the inside, conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. It's a change that takes place on the inside. Listen, that's the difference in Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, and hope for the best in the end. Christianity says there's nothing you can do on your own to change yourself. But through a spiritual union with Christ, we begin to be radically changed on the inside. It's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 3 when he said this. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. You see that phrase, we are being transformed. It's a a passive verb, meaning it's something that's being done to us. Through our relationship with Christ, God is at work in us, changing us on the inside, conforming us to the very image of Jesus Christ. Through our spiritual union with Christ, I'm being changed on the inside. But here's the second statement of how this happens. This change that is happening on the inside 
comes out in my life as Christ in me. You see, this isn't just a change on the inside. It's a change that's happening on the inside that then begins to spill out of my life. Listen, not as a better me. No, as Christ in me. As I am conformed to the image of Jesus. That's why when Paul began to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, you remember in Galatians 5, 22? Listen to what Paul said. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know what that is? It's interesting here because it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. We, we tend to hear it as fruits, and, and we look at it like, well, I'm pretty good with this one, but I'm good at joy, but boy, that patient stuff, I'm still working on that one. I'm all right at loving, but man, self-control and gentleness, boy, that's hard. I got some of the fruits, but I'm still, I'm still working on perfecting. No, no, no. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit. That's very important. Let me tell you what those things are. That is a nine-dimensional configuration of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is love. Jesus is joy. Jesus is peace. Jesus is self-control. Jesus is faithfulness. Jesus is gentleness. Jesus is goodness. So when we understand what he's saying there, it's not me asking Jesus to help me to be loving. It's me understanding that Jesus is going to love through me. It's not me asking Jesus to help me have patience. It's me allowing Jesus to be patient through me. This transformation that is taking place is not me trying harder. It's me being changed by the power of God in me so that Christ is being manifest through me to the glory and honor of God. That is fruit. As I am conformed to his image on the inside, my life is transformed on the outside so that what comes out in me is not me, but the life of Jesus being lived through me. That's what fruit is. Fruit is his life being lived out through me. Now, we're not going to unpack it this morning, but I want to at least show you where we're going next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to start answering this question. What, what is the believer's role in bearing fruit? I mean, there's a whole lot in this about bearing fruit, right? I mean, Jesus says it six times. If bearing fruit is the defining mark of my lifestyle as a believer, if bearing fruit is the only way that God is glorified in me, what do I have to do to bear fruit? No, what do I have to do to bear more? No, what do I have to do to bear much fruit? Well, here's what's interesting. Although Jesus mentions bear fruit six times in these eight verses, there's not one command in John 15 for you and I to bear fruit. Now, did you hear that? Jesus didn't say, go bear fruit. 
Oh, it's about to set some of you free in here this morning. Listen, he didn't say not one time. He wouldn't and said, disciples, hey, go bear fruit. No. Never said that. Let me give you a reality. Bearing fruit is not the focus of the life of a believer. He never said bear fruit. There's only one command. In John 15. Only one. You know what it is? Abide in me. Go go back to the illustration. You ever seen a tree out in a field working hard to bear fruit? You ever seen a branch out there just doing everything? No, 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 listen, listen. The only thing the branch has to do is hang on to the vine for all it's worth. And if the branch will hang on to the vine, then the life of the vine will be pressed out. Listen, you and I don't have to focus on being loving. You and I don't have to focus on being patient. We only have one thing we have to focus on. Jesus said it very clearly. Hang on to the vine for all your worth. And to the degree that you and I live our lives moment by moment, abiding in the vine. Let's, let me tell you what's going to happen. The life of the vine. Who Jesus is will be manifest in and through our lives. Next weekend, we're going to talk about how you abide. The word abide means to remain, to dwell. A.T. Robertson says it's to maintain vital spiritual connection with Christ. One of the resources that we're recommending to you in this series Andrew Murray's little book, Abide in Christ. If you've never read that 31-day devotional, you need to get it and read it. It'll change your life. Listen to what Andrew Murray said. The believer can each day be pleasing to God only in that which he does through the power of Christ dwelling in him. He lives in Christ alone and is for each moment dependent on him alone. So here's the summary statement I want to leave you with this morning as the foundation for everything we're going to say in these seven weeks. Here's the statement. The life of Jesus in me being lived through me as I abide in him. Read it with me. The life of Jesus in me being lived through me as I abide in him. No wonder, no wonder Paul called it the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. Hadn't we complicated it? It's the life of Jesus in me being lived through me. Today, 
You don't have to wrestle with bringing glory to God. You know, all you got to do, you just abide. You got a struggle in your life that you're trying to, you don't have to focus on that struggle. Listen, let me tell you what you need to do. You just abide. You got a relationship problem in your life today that you, listen, you don't have to worry about that. Here's what you do. You just abide. You just press into him. Listen, and all that he is will be fleshed out in all that you are for the glory and honor of God. Abide in God.